Every day, we get what's supposed to be the news from the mainstream media. With little thought or logical discussion, we believe everything we hear. We're not allowed to disagree or have an adult conversation about the issues. Believe the news or be canceled. We're here to disrupt that idea. Changing the narrative with your host, Cecil Grant Jr. provides the views of an ordinary man on a variety of topics. As a black conservative, he adds entertaining, deep, and profound analysis that should cause you to think about things differently. He's not here to change your mind. He just wants you to think for yourself. And now, here's the host of Changing the Narrative, Cecil Grant Jr. Well, welcome to Changing the Narrative. Today we're going to dive into a topic that I believe many graduates of military academies think about, uh, but few of them talk about, and that is, are military service academies still relevant? Now, before we get into the thick of the topic, I want to introduce to you my two guests. They are brother and sisters and are both graduates of military academies. Rita is a 1984 graduate of the Air Force Academy. Uh, we were in the same squadron when she was a freshman. And her brother, Nick, is a 1985 graduate from West Point. And interestingly enough, I have since discovered that Nick was in the same graduating class as two of my wife's high school classmates. And my wife also went to school with one of my classmates. She went to middle school with him. Or they went to the same middle school, not in the same uh, class. And one of her friends who graduated from West Point in 85 also had a brother who graduated from the Air Force Academy in 1983. I didn't, I didn't know that. And then Rita has a son who graduated uh, from the Air Force Academy in 2013. So let me properly introduce my guest. Uh, starting off with Nick. Nick Mastrovito uh, served in the Army, retired as a, a colonel. He commanded at every level from platoon to brigade and infantry, special forces, logistics, and engineering. Uh, deployed for Operation Desert Shield, Desert Storm, and Iraqi Freedom. Was awarded two Bronze Stars, two Joint Meritorious Unit Medal Awards, <clears throat> and a Valorious Unit Award for time served in combat. He also received numerous peacetime awards and decorations. He currently is working with Patrice and Associates as an executive recruiter, and he also mentors and assists transitioning military veterans. Uh, Rita Mastrovito served our country for 11 years in the Air Force as an aircraft maintenance officer and a program manager. She developed the comprehensive logistics support system for B-2 stealth bombers, collaborated with Northrop Grumman, successfully developed and managed logistical pipelines for the first joint surveillance target attack radar system aircraft and was responsible for technical operations of 24 F-15 C and D aircraft and effectively supervised 250 technicians. Uh, she is fluent in English and Italian and proficient in French and German. She has numerous awards and professional development uh, credentials. In corporate America, she's worked with uh, Ford Motor Company, Pratt & Whitney, uh, Raytheon, she is currently with Bricks, Brooks Running as a continuous improvement manager. And uh, kind of going back to Nick's introduction, as we stated, obviously he went to, the, to West Point, graduated with a Bachelor of Science in General Engineering, as well as a MBA with honors from Regis University. 
And Rhea, again, graduated from the Air Force Academy in 1984 with a Bachelor of Science in Engineering, as well as a Master Master of Aeronautical Sciences from Emory-Riddle Aeronautical University. And then there's me. Nothing much to say there. <laughs> so, so, so how are you guys doing today? How was your, how was your Thanksgiving? Happy to be here. Good. I am excited, and I again, like I said earlier, I appreciate uh, you guys taking the time out of your your day to to spend with me talking about this. What I what I think is a really interesting subject. Um, so before we get into the subject at hand, let me kind of kind of give the audience an idea of the direction that we're going to go. Obviously, the question that we've asked is: Are military academies still relevant? So we're going to discuss the if the academies produce a better product than ROTC or OTS. We'll also talk about whether or not the taxpayer is getting a good return on their investment as it relates to the cost associated with training and educating a cadet. Next, are academies becoming more and more like regular colleges? And next, we'll discuss the possibility of three options for the academy, academies, one of them being extremely harsh. And finally, We'll each get a few minutes to give our personal opinion on whether or not a military cat, whether military academies are still relevant. Our discussion will be framed uh, from discussions we've had with other grads, personal experiences, articles read concerning this very topic, and much more. Again, just remember that these are our opinions, hopefully laced with facts. We'll try to keep the emotions out of it, but being graduates, that may be challenging. So with that, we'll get started. And I'll start off with uh, you, Rita. Why, why did you decide or select the to go to the academy? Well, I, I was telling Nick that I was trying to remember back, you know, 35 years ago what that was that drove me there. And besides the fact that I could get a good education at no cost to my parents, there was this, there was this, like a little bit of a need to do something that was honorable because my father. My, my parents are Italian immigrants, so we're first-generation Americans, and traditionally first-generation Americans from Western Europe, you know, do a lot of things, do things that progressively improve the family situation. And so my father, my parents, not just my father, my parents always somehow insisted that we would go to get a higher education. Yeah. And I want to make my proud. I want to make my parents proud. And I knew that my dad was very patriotic American and that going to the, one of the service academies would be really impressive to him. And and I'm going to talk to Nick real quick. My little brother, my younger brother, Nick, always wanted to go to West Point. So I thought that was kind of cool. I wasn't that interested until I was a junior in high school. And that's when I said, well, I want to go to service academy, but I don't want to do what Nick's doing. So I picked the academy. <laughs> there. Okay. Your turn, Nick. Uh, like Rita said, I always wanted to go to West Point. I remember reading, probably in the fifth or sixth grade, Rex Reader books about West Point, and it just it sounded cool. My dad was in the military. My dad was an infantryman, and I didn't know what that meant. But you know, they got to go to the field, and they got it looked like it was fun. Yeah. And so that was something that I always wanted to do. I did apply to the Air Force Academy. I didn't get in. I will tell you that I did get an ROTC, a Navy ROTC scholarship, and I think an Army ROTC scholarship. But 
West Point was always at the top of the list for me. And I, you know, other than the fact that I always wanted to go to West Point, that was the reason that, that I went to West Point. Cool. My, my story as it relates to that is, is kind of like yours, Nick. My, my father was in the Air Force, and for whatever reason, in the fourth or fifth grade, I think, I had this belief that I was supposed to do what he did. So I went to the encyclopedia and said, well, how do you get into the Air Force? And the only thing was the Air Force kid. <laughs> so I told my mother, I said, I want, I want to go here. And she was like, oh, my God. <laughs> And and I still I still have it to this day. I, I want to say probably you know after I, I just I I ordered the manual. I, I we, we sent off and I I have a manual from like 1976 or whatever year. It was really old. And I I remember either getting a letter or it was probably a letter and said you know it's probably a little early for you to be applying, but here's here's our here's the book. And so every year I used to just kind of go through it and and look at it and I uh, West Point was the first military academy to turn me down. I mean I think I I think I sent them a letter with my name on it and they sent a letter back saying no. <laughs> and so then I I actually did not get accepted to the Air Force Academy. I got uh, and so I, and I had told myself. If I if I don't get into the academy, I'm not going. I'm not going to the prep school. I'm not I'm not doing all that stuff. I got a letter and it said, "Hey, we we regret to inform you, not we can't take you uh, into the academy, but we'd like to offer you an opportunity to go to the prep school. You go there, blah blah blah, and we'll pay you four hundred dollars a month." Oh really? Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. So so off I went, and the rest is history. But it 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 it's yeah. It's it's similar to your stories. My my parents are both uh, from the U.S. Virgin Islands. It's a U.S. territory, but it's it's not America per se. So my dad joined the military. We came over here and traveled a little bit. And like I said, it just it seemed like that was what I was supposed to do. So the the, the military academies are are looked at as elite institutions. And in some regards, there are, there are places or people who would compare them to Harvard or Yale or, you know, some Ivy, Ivy League schools. And their primary purpose, their mission is to produce high quality, honorable military leaders. And so uh, this question is, are the academies producing a product that is better than ROTC or OTS? I, I think a graduate of one of the academies culturally immersed for four years or perhaps five years if you're a prepster or if you're someone that um, had to spend an extra semester or an extra year because of academics you know you, you live, breathe do everything for those four years completely immersed in the military. You know, 90% of the professors are are army officers. All the tactical officers are, are army or officers. And so you're you're completely immersed in that system. You're on a military installation. You follow military rules. You're subject to UCMJ. 
but does it produce necessarily a better officer than ROTC or OCS? And I say that the answer is no. Now, there was a time that I would say that absolutely, because it was really the only commissioning source. But when you consider that the academies only produce about 10% of the total officers assessed in a year, there's no way that you can say, well, just because I had all these things, I must be better than you because you didn't have all those. You know, maybe from a, a military perspective, a military background, you are better prepared than perhaps an ROTC or maybe an OCS, OTS graduate. But that doesn't necessarily make you a better leader just because you had better things yeah. than everyone else. So, yes, it produces a, a, it should produce a great officer, but does it produce a better officer necessarily? I don't think, I don't think that you can say that that's 100% in my opinion. Okay. Any thoughts for you? Well, I, if you had asked me this question before I became an ALO, an admissions liaison officer for the Air Force Academy, I probably would have kind of argued that yes, it does produce a better officer. I've been an ALO for five years and my son graduated nine years ago. When, when he went to the Academy and went through the Academy and then graduated and the couple of times that I visited their you know, parents weekend or whatever, graduation, I did see that there were, there were visible changes, but I didn't know if there were any um, changes with respect to the training they were receiving, the, the education and the training they were receiving. So I would have said probably the Air Force Academy does, the military academies do produce better officers. But now as an A with the questions that I'm, I'm told to ask these kids as they come for interviews and the guidance that I'm given through the training of what kind of things we should ask, what we should look for, now I would say no, it's on par to me, it's on par with what the OTS and Rossi, I don't even know OTS and Rossi cadets or people anymore, but it seems to be so watered down what they're doing at the Air Force Academy, but but I can only assume it's the same as going to civilian college, although you're wearing a uniform. Based on the questions that I'm asking, the answers they're giving me, and then the kind of the kind of the the, the children, not the children, the kids that do get picked after I give them a rating, that do get picked and get accepted. I, I kind of feel like it's been pretty significantly watered down from the education is no longer at the Air Force Academy. You no longer have to take core classes that are engineering classes. The honor code is slightly uh, the honor code is i don't even know if you would call it an honor code there's a lot of emphasis on physical fitness however the physical fitness is with the the college the ones that are competing college level the other stuff even the weight management program and the push-ups and all that stuff totally watered down so wow. yeah i'm not sure we're producing better than rossi or ots yeah and that that and i'll let me skip over to that since you brought that up uh because it, it goes to to the the topic of well are the academies just becoming like regular universities I mean when I when I've gone back for reunions and sat we've you know gone to the dorms he, I, I don't feel I don't even even as the the cadets are preparing for the new meal you know march but to the to the for the new meal 
I don't, I don't feel the 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 tension. And for for a listener that might be, well, why does it need to be tense? Well, it's a military academy. There's training going on. There there needs to be a military tension there. Exactly. I don't I don't I don't feel that when I'm there. And the last and time. Yeah, and the last time I, we were there, so they march in and you, you get to sit with cadets and eat. I sat at a table. First of all, the, the I guess they were freshmen. They ate before I did. Now I'm not expecting, you know, you know, I'm just a, but they didn't. They they ate before me. There was a guy at the head of the table and a, and a young lady sitting to my left, and it, and they were just carrying on conversation. She was a freshman. He was a, a senior. I had no idea. Why is she at the head of the table? Yeah. So it just, it, the, 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 the feel is, is, is not the same. <clears throat> you talked a little bit about the the, the the physical fitness being kind of pushed, I think, more because of athletics. And I think it's because they're now chasing those NCAA dollars. You know, I, when we went to school, the, the games were Saturday afternoon. That's it. Now they're Thursday night, Wednesday night. <laughs> we had I thought we had to study. I, I couldn't have given up a Wednesday night to go sit and watch some stupid game. Well, um, keep in mind, Cecil, they don't. We carried an average of 21 credits, and some kids carried up to 25 credits a semester. Hour. They are not carrying more than 13 credit hours a semester now. I, I have a friend, Mary Beth Peterson, who's a, a professor there, and she says they, they carry an average of 13 credit hours, just like any civilian college. Wow. wow. Yeah, it's it's significantly, because my son played, he didn't even play intercollegiate sports, he played club sports, and he was gone during the week, and I said, how can you do that and keep your grades up? Yeah, so to your point, it, it's very... They wear uniforms. Yeah. I don't see that much of a difference. Then the other part there, uh, it's, it's kind of two things we'll talk about. I don't want to get really overly deep into some of the things that we've seen, but you mentioned the honor code. It's been diluted. I mean, <laughs> from what I've under, from what I understand, you you go to an honor board, you found to have committed a violation. Now you go. You don't get kicked out. You you go and you get a mentor and you, you journal about your your I don't you know your feelings. I don't know what I don't know what you do. And then you, you but the pro, but even in that it's multiple times. There's people who have had multiple honor violations and have gone through this process multiple times. So it's like you can commit an honor violation, go through this, be found guilty journal about your experiences and go back to school get caught for another honor violation journal about it <laughs> what yeah, there's, it's like you're on devil's secret probation yeah yeah you know west point just had 76 cadets cheat on a, te- on a math test it was a zoom test and it was early in the zoom experience and so probably the the amount of controls that needed to be there weren't there but you know, we have, there's an honor code because cadets are going to cheat, lie, cheat, and steal and tolerate those who do. If they didn't, there would no, be no need for an honor code. Yeah. But then the superintendent and the dean and the commandant, who are all academy graduates, cover it up. What they're telling 
those cadets is, hey, if you cover it up and no one knows about it, it's okay. And that, in my opinion, goes completely against the United States, well, you know, the, the academies, the, the idea of the academies is, hey, you know what? Um, we will provide you a better experience. We will provide you all kinds of great things. But the one thing that you will get from an academy that you will not get from ROTC or OCS or OTS is that duty on a country. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that that's been watered down. And, and the United States Military Academy has had this problem, not just with this superintendent. I mean, the last superintendent had that problem, and then he became the president of the University of South Carolina and then plagiarized, you know, plagiarized uh, a speech. Why? Yeah. What was the purpose of that? And don't you have a speechwriter that does that for you anyway? Yeah. So, you know, there's some, there are some issues. And, and from West Point, we always said, the minute you graduate, the core has. You know, in other words, everyone that came after us had it easy. But I think there's a sense of, I mean, at the Army Air Force game, all the, cadet, all the Army cadets were wearing OCPs, all the Air Force cadets were wearing flight suits. And I, and I don't ever remember leaving West Point yeah. in anything other than dress gray. Yeah. And and I I also went to several reunions, and I never got the sense that plebes were plebes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I could buy their stripes that they were plebes, but they didn't act like plebes. They acted like they were upperclassmen. And maybe that's, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's not a good thing. But, yeah. there, you know, yeah. there, there's, a, there is a lot of watering down, as both of you have said, tremendously. Yeah. The, 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 just a quick story that I, I heard that was shared with me. <clears throat> I, and I graduate, and I think he was in the 70s graduate. So him and his son uh, and their family, and his son is also a graduate, they went on a ski trip and just happened to run into a cadet who was skiing and started chit-chatting. They noticed he was wearing a nose ring. And they said, is, is that part of, you know, are you allowed to do that? And his response was, well, when I'm, when I'm at school, I wear a clear one and nobody says anything about it. And he and and the 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 academy graduate who was talking to him contacted the AOG and the you know whoever and discovered that that's not a, a, um, allowed uniform item. But where's the discipline? Where is it? It, it is. And I, I'm not going to sit here because there are people that are going to hear this and they're going to say, "Wow, Cecil's one to talk." I was not, you know, your perfect cadet. I didn't. I I bent rules, broke rules, but. Century man. <laughs> I'm a century man. <laughs> but, but but the the I think the core you know on duty on a country like you said that that played a, a major. I mean I don't think you could have made it through there if, if you didn't adhere to those. And then you know Rita mentioned physical fitness earlier. I mean that was that was important. I mean I remember I'd be studying and you'd have the PFT coming up. You'd do some homework go out and knock out some pull-ups and do some homework, go out and knock up some push-ups, do some homework, go knock up, because you got the PE. It was, I mean, you can't even fail. It, it, you know, it was a big deal. Uh, you know, I, I, I was watching 
and and then we talked earlier about the the NCAA and the money. And Air Force is playing a game today on TV, and I'm looking at some of the players, and I'm thinking, there's no way you you Defender. yeah you you don't. Yeah, <laughs> there's no way you you meet, and and you're not gonna lose all that weight. It it's 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 uh, insane. So uh, the other question I guess next would be the return on investment. Uh, the numbers that I've received as it relates to costs per cadet, it, it, currently anywhere from three hundred to four hundred fifty thousand dollars per cadet. For each one, and each class starts off usually with a thousand eleven hundred cadets. Yeah. Are the taxpayers getting a good return on their investment? I mean, based on what we just talked about. Well, we were, you know, we were kind of saying, well, what is what is the point of the, the academies, and if it's only one percent of the of the force entering 10 percent of the force entering whatever the army or the air force at that time how does that how does you know how important is that but i think that that 10 percent is what is at least going to meet the the standards that we need to keep a standing army with good leadership and then and that that would propagate through the rest of the the rest of the force. I mean, not that there aren't good ROTC and OTS, but the mo- the biggest group of people that have a certain level of standards should be from the academies. And and again, back to today, what's going on today. In, in the past, I thought it was worth it, whatever the amount. It wasn't three hundred forty hundred thousand, but adjusted for then year dollars, I think it was it was absolutely. Imp- and you were proud to be an academy grad, even though you didn't wear your ring and you kind of were. But, but everybody looked up to you like, oh, you're academy grad. You know, even when they made fun of you, you you know that they respected that. But again, in today's dollars, I, I don't see I don't see the point of spending that much money. You know, there are some people that say, well, the government spends a lot of money on a lot of things, a lot more money than whatever this four hundred thousand dollars is for a cadet. So in terms of the defense budget and whatever else the government spends, it seems like a drop in the bucket. But I don't see any value in each in spending the money for the cadets or maintaining those institutions. It's a lot of money to maintain the Air Force Academy. And I see, I, I think we could better use that money elsewhere. So I don't see the return on investments. They get out, you know, after their commitment, and they always have done this. They get out and they become airline pilots or whatever. So I, I don't know what the, what the return on investment is. I, I know Nick disagrees with me on this. I don't necessarily disagree. However, if you look strictly at, you know, the cost of one cadet that graduates and becomes a second lieutenant in the Army Air Force, Navy, Marine Corps, Coast Guard, (coughs) maybe that cost is not worth it. But if you look at what the long-term effect of the military academies do produce, I think it's absolutely worth it from a couple of different perspectives. One is most of the time, and maybe this is not true anymore because I'm, I mean, I haven't been back to West Point in a long time. I don't really know what's going on at West Point. I 
of what I do know, I'm not very pleased about it. But typically, if you look at you know if you look at the last six commanders in Afghanistan, they were all West Point grads. Now, having said that, I think they all failed miserably. I mean, I think our strategy in Afghanistan was was pretty bad. Different discussion for a different day. But there's got to be some reason why the last six commanders, and it could be, it could have been all of the commanders. I don't, I don't remember the pre-Crystal commanders very well. I don't remember if any of them were West Park Rats. I think one, at least one was. But there's, there's something to be said that, you know, these guys managed to make it to four star. They managed to make it to four star for some reason. It, it's not necessarily because they were better than the ROTC or, or the OCS guys, but they managed to make it a four-star. So I think that what that real story is that the academy grads do have a much more strategic view of the military or perhaps just their service, but even if it's just their service, that's very important. Yeah, but that, those generals are back. They, got, they went to the academy when we went to the academy. Okay. So today, and today, these grads graduating today at four hundred thousand dollars, are they the same? Well, as I, I mean, if, if you look at some of those generals, I mean, McChrystal got in trouble, Petraeus got in trouble. You know, I, I mean, are, were they more honorable back then? I, I, I would argue that no, they weren't more honorable. And unfortunately, some of those dishonorable people that I just mentioned trained us. And guess what? We faced the same challenges, and and we train the future. And so that's not my argument. My argument is that because of the immersion in the military culture, 20 years down the line, an academy grad may have a better sense of big picture than an ROTC or an OCS graduate may. Yeah. Again, I'm not saying that that an academy grad is necessarily a better officer, but it has the ability or has been inculcated in the military culture a lot deeper. And so long-term, they... But have they? These well, cadets, are they, in, are they being inculcated they, with the military culture? They've got to be more inculcated than an ROTC cadet that went to SUNY Albany or went to, you know, Florida State or... I don't know. I mean, it may That's be a, my maybe a VMI cadet. Maybe if you argue between a, a West Point grad and a VMI, a Norwich, um, Texas A&M, Georgia Tech, Citadel, maybe they're on, on par. However, you know, if you went to a, a small ROTC program and you never, you know, you're an Air Force officer and never saw an Air Force officer until you went until you showed up at your basic course, you know, how much are you inculcated in the, into the military? Right. Um, and so, but, but I think there's a second piece to this. The second piece to this is the way the military operates is someone has to be creating the standards. And so you could create, perhaps you could create the standard for a session at at a schoolhouse, but you also need to proof it. And where do you proof it at? Do you now say, we've removed the academies, and so now do you say, okay, so the Air Force is 
pre-commissioning course will be done at Texas A&M this year. And, you know, so you guys need to do, you, you know, Texas A&M, your ROTC program has to be done this way to proof that this is the way we need to train Air Force, future Air Force officers. And so there is a need for... Wait, what do you mean? What if you, what if you eliminate, what, why? If you just pop out all the academies and let everybody go to ROTC or OTS, but where is the vacuum going to be? There's still, there's still a need to create standards for pre-commissioning because that stuff does change. And if you don't have a place to proof it, then, you know, then you you get really crappy military officers because well, you, I, know, you know, knows what we should be. Yeah. My thought is that, and, I, and kind of walk me through this, that the, the academies and the military are two separate things. And you can learn, because I know one guy that I went to school with, you go to the academy, you've got the honor code, all that, all that stuff, then you get into the Air Force, it, it, it's a different thing. And then politics start to play into it. As you start going up the ranks, who do you know? Who knows you? What it, Performance, eh, maybe it matters, maybe it doesn't, but it's... It, it, and. and and then it becomes, I think, what we have seen here recently as it relates to general officers is not is that they are more concerned about maintaining their position than pushing back and saying, listen, what you want to do isn't going to work. This is what you should do. If you're not going to do it, I'm not going to sign off of it. You, and if you want to fire me or whatever, that's fine. But what you're doing is wrong. And there was a general story I heard a while back as it relates to President Carter wanted to, I can't remember what he wanted to do, but he wanted, and I may be telling the story wrong, but the point is he wanted a general to do something in Korea. The general said, I'm not doing it. Yeah, General Stigma. Yeah. Major General Stigma. Yep. Great man. He said, I'm not doing it. Yeah. And he got fired. Yeah. And he's like, roger that. Roger, you know. So I don't think we see that. I don't think it's there anymore. I don't think. I think everybody's worried about keeping their payment, you know, the pay, the position, the power. Okay, we'll do whatever. I know it's not going to work, but and then I'll defend what you did, knowing what you did was absolutely foolish. And to me, then, academy graduates should be the ones who, when they reach that level, stand up and say, that's not right. And I'm not going to be a part of this nonsense. And and be it right or wrong, or they're right or wrong, and, and, and go with it. But I don't think we're there yet for a variety of reasons. And then that kind of pulls into the fact of <clears throat> are the officers coming out of the academy any different than the officers coming from ROTC or OTS? If they were, but they're not. They were, I don't know when the, when the general change started happening. I can only reference, like I said, five years ago, maybe nine years ago, but they're, they're no longer. All the things that are important. But these, I mean, the generals that Cecil's talking about, you know, they graduated 40 years ago. So we've had the last 40 years, you know, these guys went from second lieutenant to four star. You know, one's our secretary of defense. You know, Gerald Miley is not an academy grad. He's a Princeton grad, but he fits that mold completely. You know, we have the... Okay, so you're saying it's always been like that. No, I'm, I'm saying that the professionalization of the ROTC programs and OCS has made a change, but I I still don't think that 
you can get rid of the academies and nothing will happen. You know, if, you, if tomorrow you said, okay, you know, the class of 2026, 2026 that's, that's the it. last class, and after that, we will only do RTC and OCS and direct commission, and everything will be beautiful. I don't think that that is a winning stretch. Well, yeah. I don't, I'm not going to say everything's going to be beautiful, but I'm going to say it's you're not going to see a difference. There's going to be no uh, visible difference in your, your officer group leadership. You're not going to see anything. They're they're so watered down that you're not going to see a change. Maybe maybe what's happening. Or maybe it's a maybe it's the joke that people say. By the time you become a three-star general, you're no longer actually even in the military. You're more. It's more of a yeah. CEO thing, yeah. right? Yeah. But the, the core of the military is the, a certain mid-level and the enlisted. So the mid-level officers up till, I, I don't know, maybe lieutenant colonel or something, we've watered that down so tremendously that that I don't think you'd see a big difference. Starting, starting again, like I would say five years. I like to say five years ago because yeah. that's just when I first had visibility. And I think, and even looking at that, and Nick brought up, you know, these leaders are from 40 years ago coming through the ranks and maybe the question or the point that Rita is making is that those guys have shaped how these guys are going to be and the shaping that we see isn't isn't right it, it, it's veered off the tracks with a with with lack of discipline watered down honor code you know the NCAA kind of taking over and, and bound, we're bound down to them because we'll do what they say for, for X number of dollars or whatever. And, you know, maybe that's maybe that's part of the problem. But, yeah, there's a lot to go into it. You know, I, I the, the more I think the more you, you read and talk to, to people and see different things as it relates to this, it, it just it boggles your mind. So we have, we've just scratched the surface of this topic. We've still got uh, a lot more to talk about. We're going to end it here, uh, but we'll be back next week and we will talk about three of the options for the Academy. Again, as I said before, one of them being extremely harsh and we'll take a few minutes to give our personal opinions on whether or not uh, the military academies are still relevant so with that, I thank Nick and Rita, and uh, we will have them back next week. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Another fantastic episode in the books. If you like what you heard, subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star rating on Apple, Spotify, Anchor, or wherever you get your podcast fix. Be sure to look for Changing the Narrative with Cecil Grant Jr. on Facebook and subscribe to our website for more content. Thanks for your support, and remember to always think for yourself.